Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week we are talking to guitarist Rocco Barker. Now, Rocco played in that excellent sleazy British alternative rock band of the 80s, Flesh for Lulu. Do you remember them? Who could ever forget that name, right? So this song right here, I Go Crazy, was probably their biggest hit, especially in the States anyway. You may remember this from the 1987 movie, Some Kind of Wonderful. John Hughes, my favorite John Hughes movie. Yes, I just said that. And what has historically been my favorite soundtrack of all time. I love this song. This was kind of their breakthrough. They had a few other songs on the radio. There was Time and Space. There was Postcards from Paradise. But it never quite got over the hump, you know? And the band eventually dissolved in the late 80s. Uh, Rocco and lead singer Nick Marsh went went on to form a second band called Gigantic. But they never really got off the ground either. And uh, Rocco's been doing all kinds of things ever since. In fact, uh, he was on a reality television show in the UK with, uh, as he described, sort of a crazy ex-girlfriend. That's a really interesting story. And now his second career is unlike anything you've ever heard. He makes eyeglasses and he's really good at it. Like he's a prominent eyewear manufacturer in the UK. Who would have ever guessed? Prior to all of this, back in the early 80s, he was in a band called Wasted Youth that was actually more popular than than Flesh for Lulu. So anyway, we talk about all this. Now, sadly, Nick Marsh, the lead singer of Flesh for Lulu, he passed away from cancer back in 2015. And there's a story I tell in here about how that was especially impactful to me. Uh, I'll just tell you now in case you don't get this far, but Flesh for Lulu were one of the absolute inspirations for starting this podcast. One of the main reasons I did it was to hopefully get in touch with Flesh for Lulu. And I held off doing it at first because I wanted to wait until we were established and Nick died like six weeks after we started this podcast. So disappointed. Uh, anyway, you'll find out here from Rocco. It's, <laughs> he's interesting. You, uh, He just gets going and it doesn't stop like a freight train. There's actually not even a ton of music in here. But uh, I hope you like what you hear. And if you're a fan of Flesh for Lulu's, I think this is really fun and interesting. Um, he called me from his home in London. Well, okay. So for starters, I, um, you know, I feel like we got to talk about Nick, but I don't know that I want to go sad right off the bat. So for starters, tell me about your business that you're running, because I find it really interesting what you're doing today. Okay. It was probably about just over 15 years ago that I ended up having becoming like the subject of, of like a, a reality show in Britain. Uh-huh. Uh, and um, they, I mean, what it was, they, people like me hadn't been represented on TV, like, you know, kind of rock and roll kind of guys, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. And my, the, you know, the, the, the crazy woman that I was with at the time, she was Canadian and, she, and she'd moved to London. She was an actress, a comedian and an actress. And I was like in the middle of like, finding somewhere to live I was, I was literally in the gutter you know drooling you know uh-huh. with no management no management no 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 record deal everything you know, everything down the tubes nothing happening and i think when she saw me she just went ka-ching 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 uh-huh. she just saw dollar dollar signs right uh-huh. and next thing you know she's like do you want to do a reality show and i'm like well no not really uh-huh. and she went well you know it'd be good fun and you know it could help your career and 
you know, it would just be great to do. Nothing else is happening. So, okay, well, whatever, let's do it. Next thing you know, I mean, I, I was buying a place. I was, you know, fortunate enough to have enough money to buy a place in Barcelona. Yeah. And I was buying a house in the mountains. <laughs> and my plan was basically to to, uh, to to live in Barcelona for a while. Mm. And so, so they we we basically met this big big television. Uh, you know, one of Britain's big, uh, Channel Four, basically. You know, uh-huh. um, that Britain's you know next biggest channel to the BBC. And the next thing you know, we're, we're filming a whole series, which like took about a year and a half to film, which was great fun, really good fun. <laughs> and um, I really enjoyed it. It was it was fantastic. You know, and I managed to get Flesh for Lulu in it yeah. because what it was, we we basically scripted it. You know, for one, for one of a better, it wasn't a strict reality show. It was really a show about me and this girl being together, living in London, and relocating to Barcelona, and all the trials and tribulations, you know, and all the rock and roll shenanigans around it as well. If you know what I mean, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I, I did it, and it was great fun, right? And it, and then it all became a little bit, it all got a little bit serious, and. Um, you know, we had these offers of book publishing deals. It got to the point where, if oh, I, whenever wow. I walked down the street, uh, you know, people were just coming up to me, and uh-huh. you know, it, it was I, I wasn't really anonymous anymore. I was, uh, you know, I was getting recognised everywhere. If you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Which I could, which I could kind of deal with, but the problem was I wasn't actually making any money at that point. Mm. You know, so you know, I kind of got this like, like little little tiny bit of recognition for being like a, a TV. Bod, yeah, um, you know, a, you know, like a, a minor TV uh, reality guy, sure. but it wasn't, and so the next lot of money was going to be made on the second series, ah, okay. right? So yep. we know, so you know, they, they were going to give us, you know, a huge advance to film the second series. We had two book publishing companies, you know, wanting to, you know, bid against each other to write, you know, so we write the cheesy book, the Christmas book, you know, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> but the bottom line was, I didn't want to do it because the the, the woman I was with. Well, for one of a better word, she's fucking nuts. You know, I knew she was mad when I when I went with you know when I was with her. Do you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. I'm quite mad, but I mean, you know, but she's you know she was she she had problems, you know, and I uh-huh. and I thought I could I could help, and and, it, and I couldn't. I realised I couldn't help at all, yeah. and I just wanted out. I would love to film the second series; it'd been great, but there's no way I was going to do it with that woman. Anyway, time went on, and the next thing I know is that she stole loads of money off me. Yeah, right? I read about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, she did. It's still ongoing today. I mean, oh, you know, no. I'm, I'm, still, I'm, I'm still dealing with, with solicitors, lawyers in Barcelona with the house. I haven't been, I've never been to my own house in over 15 years. Really? I haven't even been to it. If I go there, I get arrested, yeah. Oh, no. I know. Is she there? I, 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 I got to yeah, tell you, Robert. Yeah, she's there. Okay, I watched yeah. the show. Well, I watched the first episode of this show on YouTube. And, uh, oh right, yeah, yeah. So I I kind of know what you're talking about. It's this beautiful house on the side of a hill in Barcelona, and um, that's right. But then I looked you up further, and I saw the the article about her stealing money, and you were yeah. seeing another woman apparently, and she was freaking out. And I thought, wow, Rocco's got quite a story I, to tell. Yeah, you know? I, I I left her basically, yeah, I, and I didn't yeah. leave her for another woman. I just I left her. Yeah, and um, I didn't want anything to do with her. You know, she's just. Yeah. You know, not not you know, not in a good way. You know, yeah. I don't I don't want to even say about what was wrong with her, but she's just you know, Got it. she had real problem, real problems, and I couldn't help her. You know, yeah. So basically, um, yeah, she frauded me. At the end of the day, she she just stole loads of money out of my bank account, and she also remortgaged the house without me knowing. 
you know, and, and, and got away with a lot of money, probably, you know, like a you know, six figure. You know. Oh, goodness. Uh, well, would it be six? Yeah, six figures, yeah. So, um, but the trouble is, when the police got, you know, got wind of it, by the time, you know, they could prove what she'd done, all... All they they got they did her for was a diamond ring. So everybody seems to think this. She she you know she bought some diamond ring or something. But that was just one thing. She bought a ticket to Las Vegas to visit her dad. She went to Maui. She was flying all over the world, staying in oh, five star yeah. hotels and pay, paying with it. Oh, anyway, bottom line is she got away with it. Oh. And you know she was in the court. She was an actress anyway. Yeah. You know, and she was in. You know, it was like a proper court, like a really quite a serious. It's fraud. You know. Wow. Anyway, so that happened. And I, you know, and it was just the time when everything was changing. I, at the time, did a really strange thing. Me, me and Nick were always, always, even if we weren't doing music together, at least once or twice a week, we'd go and have a drink together. You know, we'd meet up uh-huh. in a local pub and have a, and you know, get, you know, get drunk together, basically. Sure. You know, even uh-huh. even when we weren't playing music together, we were still really good friends. Yeah. And I did, I did this really weird thing, where I did, I did like. Um, a thing of a guy called General Levy. He was uh, like a Jamaican ragga singer. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. And um, he was, in fact, David Bowie actually cited him as one of his major influences. No way. And I, right, and I met, I met him on community service, <laughs> right? Because I, I did something really stupid. You know, I, I'm not proud. Basically, I got, I got arrested for drink driving. Uh-huh. Years ago, years. I mean, this is like 20 odd years ago. Uh, when it's when actually people did kind of drink and drive in those days, not like sure. they do today, you know what I mean? Sure. Anyway, anyway, so I meet this, you know, this black guy, big, tall, skinny black guy, Jamaican, and I, and I think he's bullshitting me. He's going, oh, yeah, you know, I, I met David Bowie, and I was like, you know, here and there and whatever. And and, um, and anyway, at the end of it, he gave me this, like, CD of his stuff, and my jaw dropped. And when I heard it, it was just, it was just astounding. It was amazing. So I put a band together. We generally as a singer, and, and me, you know, um, you know, playing guitar. And, and, and at that point, um, there were there were a few. I can't remember who did it now. There was that song all about the Benjamins or something, which is like this real yeah. kind of rock, rock guitar kind of stuff with like these rap, rap kind of lyrics. And yeah, well, it, it, that you know, that was about the only thing I could remember. There was anything like it because it wasn't like Rage Against the Machine, where it was like really aggressive and right. you know, kind of like really kind of hardcore you know, almost metal sound. It wasn't anything like that. It was really kind of rock and roll and almost like Eddie Cochran riffs with like ragger over it, a bit more like oh. Shaggy and stuff like that, yeah. you know? Yeah. And um, anyway, I mean, I've always loved reggae anyway. I've always, I've always loved reggae music. So basically, we did, we, we started playing around London. We started picking up a really great following. People just loved it. And we were starting to pick up a following. And, and the management I had at the time flew us out to South by Southwest. Ooh. And we, we played, yeah, we did that. And you know what it was? It was just at the time when the industry was kind of like closing in on itself, if you yeah, know what I mean. Sure. Right? Mm-hmm. And that happened, right? And we got back to London. It, we didn't get signed. We had all like we had all the labels there, EMI and Warners, all of them were there. But nobody actually put their hand in the pocket and went, oh, there you go. Here's, blah, right. you know, X amount. Just get, no, it just didn't happen, right? right? So me and Lee, we just said, you know, you know what? Let's just leave it for now. And I'm hoping at some point, because we, we did actually record an album, so I'm hoping that that Ooh. will come out one day. Okay. So that will come out one day, hopefully. Anyway, so that, that was that, right? Nick had gone on to do his own thing. He was doing his own solo stuff at that point. Okay. And 
and it did, there just didn't seem any point in me and Nick working together. Hmm. Because I, as far as I'm concerned, the biggest mistake we ever made was when we signed to Columbia and we got a massive, you know, we, we got a huge record deal you know, uh, with the guy that signed Alice in Chains. Right. And um, who was it? Uh, Soul Aside. There's a guy called Nick Terzo. He had been at Columbia for like 12 years and he'd, he'd signed two bands in 12 years, apparently. And that was right. uh, Soul Asylum. And, and Alice in Chains. At that point, Alice in Chains were huge. Yeah, you know, they right. were like, you know, stadium. And and that, and that was kind of like, it looked like they were the kind of like, same kind of lines that they were hoping we were going to go down. Right. Hmm. You know, we were, open, we were opening Different. for Bush and Gwen, and Gwen Stefani at football stadiums on the West Coast, you know, with the Goo Goo Dolls. Um, was stuff this like Flash that. for Lulu or is it, was this gigantic? No. It, well, this I was going to say, we, you know, <clears throat> you know, it was, I'm not going to, yeah, I'm going to blame it on Nick, actually. Yeah, I am. <laughs> Nick just didn't, Nick didn't want to be Flesh for Lulu anymore. Yeah. And I just still couldn't understand it because we, we are, we were Flesh for Lulu and we became gigantic. And actually, it took us about a year to come up with a fucking name, uh -huh. right? Sitting around, getting drunk and whatever, trying to yeah. get a name that hadn't been done. And in fact, it had been done. And we had to pay off, I don't know, the record company had to pay some guys out in bloody, I don't know, New Jersey or something, already called Gigantic. And then we couldn't release the album until that had been, oh. I, I think the delay uh -huh. in that happening really fucked everything up anyway yeah anyway so well it just didn't happen so you know we were you know the google dolls offered us their they'd gone platinum and they were like oh come on tour with us yeah and we were like okay great we were managed by this uh uh company called gallimore who were like this huge management um you know real, real top you know one uh -huh. of america's top management companies and it it all just went wrong. It just uh, Nick Terzo basically left the label. He got offered a job to go and work directly for Madonna. Oh, well, and, yeah, yeah. Okay. And he, got, he, got, he kind of got he got one of those calls from Tommy Mottola, you know. Yeah. And it was like, you know, we're going to give you shitloads of money. Come and work for us. And uh, he wrote. It, actually, I was the only one that he wrote to. I don't know why he wrote to me, but he did. Really? Uh, he wrote me a letter. And he sent me a book. He sent me a book, and it was the um, what was it? It was the Alchemist. Oh, have you okay. read the book? The Alchemist? No, but yeah, I've Paolo. heard of it. Yeah, no, uh, it's but I've a great, really. It's it's a fable. It's you know, it's almost like a kid's book, really. Yeah. You should, if you haven't read it, you should read it. So it's a lovely little book, and um, it's all about a young kid who goes through life, and it's all about 
things happening for a reason. <laughs> and, it, you know, anyway. Yeah. Uh, so that happened. And, okay. and, and me and Nick just looked, we, we looked at each other and we just went, fuck it. You know, it's like, you know, it just fucked it wow. up completely. So, you yeah. know, it was, you know, that, that part was over. Yeah. So Nick just thought, you know what? I mean, I, you know, and, and that's why I've always had a respect for Nick. He, he just, he managed to kind of like just carry on. Yeah. On his own. Yeah. You know, without a band, but, you know, and just, he just got some musicians together and put, did the solo stuff, you know, and he, he went off and did that. And around, I just wasn't doing a lot at that point. But around that time, so so 10 years ago, is around the time I got married. Now, yeah. this is the weird one. Okay. I got married, I got married to Nick's long-term girlfriend. <laughs> Hi. Who hated me, <laughs> right? Because I, I used to keep, right? Because I, I used to keep her boyfriend out for like not all night. I'd keep him out for days if he right. came out with me, <laughs> right. right? So, so um, she hated me. I wasn't even allowed to go in her flat for a couple of years because I was such, uh-huh. a, such I was probably such an asshole, really. But um, <laughs> weirdly enough, she didn't really hate me. But weirdly enough, it, it, we had so many shit. They, it wasn't like she left him and went with you know they, they split up two or three years before we even, you know, uh-huh. anything even happened really. But the point is, she grew up in Canada from Southern Italian parents. My mum is Southern Italian. Yeah. We both had the same kind of food. We've had the same kind of life experiences, living in London. You know what I mean? We, yeah. It's, so many, it's a bit like a foursome. I was, I was with a girl called Cleo, and she was just singing in a band called The March Violence. I remember. I remember it well. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, I, mean, I was with Cleo for like the same amount of time, 15 years. Oh, really? And um, Yeah, me and Cleo lived together for like 15 years, yeah. And and at the same time, it was Nick and TC and Rocco and Cleo, and we were like a little foursome. We we, we went to, you know, restaurants together, pubs, clubs. We did sure. everything together except go on holiday together. The only thing uh-huh. we didn't do was go on holiday with each other. You know, cause me, me and Nick were together anyway, all, together all, all the time anyway, you know. Yeah, so, yeah right. Um, so, you know, so anyway, um, it was just, it was, it's a last thing that I, I expected. And, you know, and I hadn't seen her in quite a few years. I, I came back to London after leaving Barcelona. And we, you know, we just, you know, we just met up a few times. It was just like, you know, what, you know, what, what, it got to the point, what do you want in life? You know, and yeah. I was like, you know, I would love to have uh, children, you know. Yeah. One thing that I really regret, I'm getting old. I'm getting older. Uh-huh. I don't have any kids. I don't have any, yeah. I've never had time to have children, you know. Right. And she said, that's what I want as well. You know, and I said, "Well, yeah, okay." Yeah, and, and it, it just, out. it just kind of, and uh, yeah, and we just can't. We, we planned. You know what? It was planned. It was all planned. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I just, and I realised that this, you know, there's no way that I could have. I don't know. I don't know how Nick did it. I, I mean, I, I'll go into that in, in, in a little bit, but um, I don't think it was good for his health anyway. Yeah, um, yeah. To you know, to keep a career going, look after a family. And also make sure that all the bills are being paid. Right, that can't be easy. Do you know what I mean? Yes, it's not it's not easy at all. I mean, even back in the day, we were getting paid a lot more money. Yeah, you know, you know, being musicians back back fifteen twenty years ago, we were making like quite quite a good living. You know, right, right. You know, yeah. t- touring, you know, releasing albums, having record deals. You know, we we weren't rich, but we we you know, we we lived. We lived. Yeah. With, you know, we we were. You know, we we got by. We probably could have. You know, um, you know supported a family right. at that point but we, none of us did we, neither of us did yeah but i realized that if i'm going to do that you know I, I need to make some money yeah you know and if i if i can't if i can't do it as a musician then i'm just going to have to do it any way i can 
Right. You know, so what do you do? I think that was my initial right. question like 20 minutes ago. Yes, yeah, so. I know, I know. I'm almost there. I'm almost there because, <laughs> okay. then, the next thing, because then the next thing I did, right, uh-huh. the next thing I did was, was um, I, we, I probably wrote about, I don't know, 12 or 15 songs, you know, really, really rough and ready, you know, ropey songs with a guy called Rob. And he's, uh, Rob Young, they used to call him Throb. Okay. He was the guitarist from Primal Scream. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, no right. Way. Well, Bobby, Bobby, yeah, yeah. Bobby Gillespie kicked him out, right? Mm. And 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 he was the one who kind of wrote all the big, you know, with with because it's, it's Bobby, a guy called Innes, and Rob, who were the three main guys in Primal Scream. Okay. Yeah. Well, they kick they, they kick they kick Rob out, right? Mm-hmm. And um, after being in the band for twenty five years or whatever, Ouch. and he's one of those one of those amazing guitar players. He's a bit like Scott Gorham from um, oh. Thin Lizzy. Wow! You okay. know, one of those one of those you know really talented, amazing. You know, I'm you know I'm nothing like that. You know, I, don't, right. I can't play anything like that. <laughs> right. You know, I just chuck out a few chords. You know, what I mean? and, make, uh-huh. you know and, and I know a few blues runs. You know, but but basically, you know, he's. A, Really, really, such a talented. We, and he married one of my best friends, Rachel. She's like an ex-model and oh, whatever. And, nice. And she's like one of my old, really good friends. And um, he married her. And me and Rob started working together. And we started writing some songs. And you know, we just put them on a little dictaphone and and started putting stuff together. So it got to the point where I thought, you know what, we, it'd be great if we start putting a band together. Let's, let's try and get a little bit of money from somewhere. So I, I rang Martin Mills. At, um, at, where was it? A Beggar's Banquet. Okay. A Beggar's Banquet Records. And, um, you know, it, it's, you know, back in the day, signed us, the Cole, you know, Love right. and Rockets. I think he went on to sign The Prodigy. I think he signed The White Stripes. No way. Um, later on. You know, yeah. So mine, you know, really kind of knows what, I mean, I mean these days, I think, I'm, I'm pretty sure he, he's, um, he's got Adele, you know, Adele. The, uh, yeah, sure, the girl of course. Singer. Yeah. One of, the, one of the few people actually still probably making money in the yeah. music business. Right. Right? Yeah. So he knows what he's doing. So I rang Martin, right? And I said, Martin, I'm playing with Rob, you know. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, we want to, you know, we'll find a singer and probably get some other other boring blokes from, that have been in other bands and put a uh-huh. band together. Right. He went, oh, that sounds great. And I said, any chance, like, you know, 20 grand or even 50 grand would be great. Well, uh-huh. We could all have a little retainer. We could all pay our rent. He went, you know what, Rocco? He said, you know, it, it sounds really good, but right now, I couldn't even give you 50p. I'm oh, like, what? And, and what I know about mine, he, he doesn't bullshit. You know what I mean? He's yeah. not a bullshit. If, you know, if, if it's not for him, he'll go, oh, it's not for me. Nah, you know, no, right. no. Um, he, he said to me, have you heard of this thing called the internet? And I said, uh, yeah, I have actually. <laughs> he said, have you heard of this thing called the download? <laughs> and I went, no. And at that point, I've never heard of what the download was. He went, right. well, the internet is very, very bad news, and the download is basically the death of the music industry. Uh-huh. And I was like, really? Uh-huh. Oh, I mean, I've, I, and, I, and I put the phone down. I thought, you know what? Martin's never bullshitted, or you know, there's no need for him to lie about anything. You know, what's all this? What's all this weird stuff he's talking? You know, right, right. and um, and it took me a couple of years for it to dawn on me. And I, I remember yeah. having that conversation thinking, you know what? He was spot on. He was dead right. I kept yeah. hearing this word download. And it was. That was it. Once that happened. Anyway, so yeah, I, I live near, near the old famous Port Bella Road Market, you know, near Notting mm-hmm. Hill. Mm-hmm. I live around, around the corner to that. And I just thought, you know, the easiest way for me to make some money is to, for one, I'm a, I'm a collector of anything that 
that was good and bad, it starts selling off anything I've got of any value. Right. So um, I ended up renting a little bit of a shop around the corner, and one of the things I had collected was glasses. Um, I used to wear, you know, I never used to, I never used to wear, you know, like spectacles. Well, I do now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I started wearing them about twenty years ago, but. You know, I, 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 I have this massive collection of spectacles and sunglasses I used to collect. I was in New York, especially like in the early 80s. You could buy the old cat's eyes for like 10 for a dollar. Yeah. And all that kind of stuff. And I, I, I bought most of it in America today, to be honest with you. Huh. And um, I bought tons of it in America. And I used to fill up my suitcase with glasses and bring them back. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? uh-huh. And it was just, no, no, I don't think nobody even knew that I did it. I don't, you know what? I never used to talk to about anyone. I don't think he, Nick, Nick knew I, I did it. He just thought you're mad. He goes, "What are you doing with these fucking glasses?" Yeah. So I don't know. I just like I just like them. Yeah. Anyways, so what I do today, what I did was I had a shop, and 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 it's only in the last few years all the designers are now making really cool shapes, like you know the women can wear cat size, the guys can get those kind of vintage looking, 1950s. You know, Tom Ford did the right. You know, the big, the big you know 70s kind of look and all that kind of stuff. But it wasn't that long ago that that happened. So previous to that, I was actually doing really well sell- selling original vintage frames, right? And then I, re- I realized that once I was doing that, I was never going to get them back again. Uh-huh. So I looked in- into making frames. And in Britain, right, there are literally three or four guys left in the whole... And, and the youngest one, I think he's like 75. Wow. And I work with him. Lawrence, one guy is 90, 92 now. He's just retired and, and, and donated most of his workshop to me. And what I do, I, I'm actually probably one of, of no more than, you know what, there's only one other company that I know that actually does what I do. So there's, there's only me and one other company that's been around since World War Two. Wow. And we make handmade frames. It took me 10 years just to get the machines. Once I got the machines, I was in my workshop for two and a half years before I even had a frame that I could, I could even like wow. present to anyone. Wow! Right, and then yeah. I've been doing that. I've been doing that for the last three or four years now, and 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 today I make for, and I can tell you they are. I make for General Eyewear, who are one of Britain's probably most prestigious eyewear labels. Uh-huh. I've been approached by Kirk Originals, who want me, who I'm making stuff for at the moment, who are who are Britain's probably most expensive eyewear brand. And I've just done the catwalk show for a really young, cool designer called um, Martine Rose. And oh, I think there's a picture of me with, with her in the New York Times this week. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. It's really odd. It's really strange. And you know what? I, I live, I, I'm really lucky. My workshop is a couple of minutes from where I live. And I'm, I'm so lucky to better fall out of bed, get into my workshop, and... Um, yeah. I, I, work really, I work really long hours. I work really, really quite long hours, but... I absolutely love what I do. It's, en- nice. it's, it's engineering. It's basically engineering, and that's why that's the one thing I was good at at school. Yeah, engineering. I went. I went to a really quite a bad school, and I was I was probably one of the clever kids, right, in that school. And I left school at sixteen. I could barely read and write. Right. You know what I mean? It was that bad. It was so bad. You know, but yeah. they, they, you know, we 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 were from the generation that was supposed to have gone on to become skilled like um, mechanics sure. and, you know, and, um, in sort of skilled factory work, really, production. Right. 
uh, until you know until we lost it all and it all went to to china yeah yeah you know wow. we're talking like in the 80s sure. you know the 80s where all the factories closed down in britain mass unemployment you know yeah and so uh, let me let and, me ask you this rocco can i i mean could i i'm a i wear glasses i'm a regular guy could i buy a pair of rocco barker glasses yeah I'll, I'll make you some you, 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 would you ever ever get, get to london at any time would you ever come to london you yeah know? i was i used to live out there and i was just there a couple of years ago and yeah i wondered i'm just imagining buying a pair of you know glasses and going around and saying yeah the guitarist for flesh for lulu made these you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah i mean you know what? If, you, if you're coming to london the best thing to do is to come here uh-huh pop in the same and I'll, and I'll do them for you no okay. problem oh that'd be great Hey gang, let me break in here for a little bit of business. Also, I want to give you a chance to listen to some more Flesh for Lulu. This is uh, Time and Space. Great song. We didn't get a chance to shove as much music into this episode as I would have liked. So I hope you're hearing things you like. Anyway, um, we haven't had any iTunes reviews for a while. A couple of months, maybe. So I hope that you guys will get back into it. You know, I don't know what they mean other than Yen and I feel really good about it. One thing I noticed, I typed in the hustle into iTunes the other day, and we've been bumped down. There's some more popular podcast with the word hustle in it than ours. And I looked, and they only have one episode out and already like 30 reviews. And I got really pissed off. I'm like, come on, our fans are more devout than that. So anyway, please, gang. Again, I don't I don't know what it means other than I think if I type in the hustle, we get closer to like the first or second thing you see. But anyway, I don't let's not we don't want to get beat by some you know, fly-by-night new podcast with 30 robobots giving them likes. Come on, gang. Anyway, uh, so I'm going to read some Facebook reviews. I don't do those often enough, and because I don't do these midsections very often, I may read something that's already been read, because I don't remember how long it's been since I read one. I don't think I've done it all year. So anyway, I'm going to start with three or four. We'll just keep going and going. Uh, Andrew Jacobs, groupie, uh, podcast groupie extraordinaire Andrew Jacobs. John Lamoureux is a great host and does great interviews with big name and not so big name artists from all music genres. In addition, <laughs> his daily "Who do we like better?" Facebook polls are his pay on his make his page a must like. Yeah, that's I just like I said I think last time I've started doing that the last like month and a half or so two months. I just thought it'd be fun. And uh, I only know how to do two options. I think you're only allowed two options. I hear from tons of you that are like, can we have a third or fourth option? No, because Facebook doesn't allow it. Besides, just, you know, let's narrow this sucker down. Two, two people, who do you like better? And sometimes they're related to each other, sometimes they're not. I view it as like teams. You know, if this team played this team, what would happen? And sometimes, <clears throat> sometimes it's a really good team versus a not so good team. Sometimes it's sort of a... You know, sometimes a small team gets the upset. I don't always put people who are in, like, different genres or in different leagues. But anyway, that's my thinking. I think it's kind of fun. And we get, you know, 150 votes a day or something. One of these days, maybe uh, I got a request from our listener, Dave Peterson, to do a, a bonus episode on the polls. And, like, what I would have voted for and the outcome and stuff like that. Maybe. If there's an appetite for that, I guess I'll do it. Uh, anyway, another one. Tom Storer. Uh, also recommends The Hustle. John really engages the guests. I can't tell you how many podcasts I've listened to where the person he is interviewing compliments him on his knowledge of them or their career. Thank you, Tom. In short, he does his homework. He's also very good at listening and not just pushing the agenda. 
That's something I try not to do. I feel like I do it sometimes, but anyway, thank you for saying that. But allowing the conversation to naturally flow and always bringing it back. It does go a bit sideways. Oh, bringing it back if it does go a bit sideways. Right now, I think he's the best. Wow, I think he's the best out there. Thank you, Tom. I am so humbled by that. Thank you for saying that. Andy Zicklin. Andy's a buddy. It's funny. Uh, we've never really hung out, but I see him at every alternative rock artist of the 80s concert that I ever go to in Denver. And as you guys know, there's a lot of them. And without fail, I bump into Andy and his buddy Mark Adams every single show. John does a great job finding and interviewing both icons and relics. Super enjoyable either way. Thank you, Andy. I don't even know if Andy listens. He may have just done that to be nice. Uh, and then Jamie Maiden. Uh, Jamie, I think, is a fairly new listener. There hasn't been an episode yet that I didn't find interesting and entertaining. While each person interviewed is done professionally, he also approaches them with a fan's excitement. Thank you, Jamie, for that. I appreciate that. I'll read one more. What the heck? It's short. This is Joe Powers. This podcast is great, and it's a very enjoyable page to follow on Facebook. Come join the fun. I couldn't have said it better. Thank you, Joe. If you're on Facebook and you're not following our page, get involved. Every day I try to throw a music uh, poll up there. I'm going to keep doing it as long as I can think of interesting ones. I try not to double dip and use the same bands over and over again. Um, and I have probably two months worth of ideas in my head and on a list of polls I'm going to throw out there. When I'm out of it, I may double back up again. Or I may move to songs or I may just quit because I'm exhausted. I don't know. But anyway, thanks to everybody for writing the reviews. One other thing I want to mention, hopefully later this week, we're going to be putting out a deep dive. Uh, there are two people that I've had on the hook to do the deep dive with, and I've yet to record this thing. They both were out of town last week. Uh, both of them said they would be back this week. I'm hoping that it happens so that we can get it out. I always try to get the last Friday of the month. Hopefully that's what happens this month. If it doesn't, it should be close. Um, but anyway, look for that. And both of them, uh, I think, are going to be really fantastic. One is a fairly newer guest. One is one of our older, older original first like 50 guests. So anyway, look out for those. Those are coming. And then also whatever one, if I do both, one of them will come out this week and then one of them I'll save till next month. And then lastly, I always got to put in a plug for the merch, you know, or as Mike Watts says, merch, go into Amazon, type in hustle podcast merch or hustle podcast shirt or pop socket or sweatshirt or whatever it is out there and uh, buy one if you want. That's a really good way to support the show. Okay. It offsets some of the charges for like software and hosting fees. It's not a ton, but it helps. You know what I mean? Anyway, thanks everybody for all your support. That's it. Uh, let's get back to Rocco. Cool. Okay. So basically, um, yeah. So basically that's, that's the long winded story of how I ended up being an eyewear maker, that's an amazing. eyewear manufacturer. That's amazing. And what's funny and plus, is... Plus I, don't have to, plus, I don't have to drink. I don't, I don't need to have a drink before I do it. <laughs> well, so that was... You, sub, you, you managed to summarize about 20 questions I had for you in that story. So this ah. is great. Um, but one uh, of them was pertaining to, you know, drugs and drink. I know that I think for a while there, back in the 80s, you were probably a little bit of a functional junkie. I mean, hopefully that's yeah. not too... You know, broad no, no, term or that's whatever. Right. Yeah. That's right. Um, no. but are things good yeah. today? You're not, you know, you. Yeah, they are. They are good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. oh, it's the more, you know, the older you get, and, you know, the more you kind of work out how things kind of work. Yeah. Uh, even at the moment, we're getting all these politicians, oh. like ones that are running to be um, 
what you call it, when I run into be prime minister, yeah. that are actually, for some reason, I've got no idea why they'd want to do it. There's a guy called Michael Goad, who's like second in, second in running to the, this guy, Boris. Mm-hmm. And um, he suddenly comes up with, oh, oh, I did cocaine. <laughs> I mean, why on earth? Why on earth would you even say that? You know, it's, it's, it's to give you some kind of credibility. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. you know, and this, and this is a politician that wants to run the country. And it's almost like, you know, I mean, what, what happened with me is that I, you know, I, I was, I had, I had a band in London. We were called Wasted Youth. We became really popular. Flesh for Lulu never became anywhere near as popular as that band. Wow. And we only made one album. We made an album that took us three days to record. <laughs> Really low, lo-fi, and, and you know, and we played really quite big venues for the size. There's not not a lot written about us. If you go online, it's not a lot there, you know. Right. But we worked with people like Martin Hannett, you know, who produced yeah. Joy Division, of course, um, and Thank a guy you. called Peter Perry, who was uh, the singer in a band called The Only Ones, which yep. America doesn't really America doesn't really know that band. But that's that, another girl that, for me, planet, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Peter, Peter produced us, yeah, yeah, and basically. I think even like looking back at you know Peter Perry's career, um, we were all a part of a very very small group of people that had heard of this band from New York called The Velvet Underground. Yeah, and I, yeah. I remember listening to The Velvets, and nobody, and I mean nobody, the press didn't write about them. It's almost like they didn't exist. But I I had all their albums. Yeah. So this would have been like in 1975, just before punk. Yeah. So basically, and it, it was that whole kind of like heroin thing. And right. it, by pure chance, pure chance that the Shah of Iran had been overthrown at that point, and London was just awash. At one point, you could only like get heroin from, from people who were kind of bohemian types. Uh-huh. And, you know, they were, they were normally quite rich. They were, you know, you'd, you'd be in Chelsea and Knightsbridge and bloody. Um, Kensington, and that's where you scored your heroin, you know, in like yeah. really high, high end kind of like luxurious kind of apartments and stuff where these like rich junkies used to hang out. But then within a few years, you know, it's filtered down and become this like, I mean, to be honest, I don't even know what people take these days. It right. certainly isn't heroin. It's, it's just, I mean, you know, in those days, the junkies just looked a bit, a bit, you know, like they hadn't eaten properly. You know, they were just skinny, <laughs> right. and they and they just didn't. They needed like they, they needed to like you know eat yeah. properly and you know get get, get well. Right. Whereas today, you look, you look at them now, they look like like grey, half dead, 
it's terrible. You know, it's like because of the of the crap that's in or the, whatever yeah. it is they put in it. I, I, I don't know. I don't think it is heroin. And there's this big fentanyl thing yeah, now, isn't there? This pharmaceutical so fentanyl. Yes, there's killing lots lots of people in the states, yeah. and, uh, and it's and it's a big big opiate um, hangover from the industrial. You know, it's like, you know, apparently Pittsburgh has got a huge problem because of all the manual labour. Yeah, you know, all the steelworks and right. all that kind of stuff. And um, so sad. I, I don't know. I think mean, I think it's about time that you know the, the, the governments have realised that they, you know they've they've lost the war years ago on this yeah. war on drugs. You know, it's ridiculous. Yeah. They need to help these people, not put them in prison. Right, right. I, I, I was just really lucky. You know, I was so lucky. Good, good. But, um, Didn't I, you I, I met someone, You know. Uh, didn't you uh, audition for Flesh for Lulu while on heroin? I did. <laughs> yes, I did. And um, wow. I still got it. You know. Yeah, you still got and, it. And uh, yeah, wow. I knew I knew I was going to get because at that point, no one had heard, no one had a clue who Flesh for Lulu was. I don't think I think they'd only ever played once, as far as I know, uh-huh. to about ten people, and no one knew they were. You know, they hadn't made any records yet, and um, um, you know. Yeah. And I, I was already, you know, in a very small kind of way. I was already quite successful, really. I, I you know, I, right. I played quite big venues, you know, and, right. and already kind of cut my teeth on, on the rock and roll bit, you know. Right. So I kind of knew I was going to get the job. They, yeah. they kind of needed me. I, I knew that much. Um, and then, I think when I joined, weirdly enough, I knew they'd made some demos, but I'd never ever heard them. And someone put them out on a CD. Huh. Just recently, and I heard them for the first time a year ago, and they're nothing like what Flesh for Luna oh, sound like. They sound like a, like a like a like a synthy pop kind yeah. of thing. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. yeah. There, there's a CD. There's a CD that came out, which is a, a reissue of the first album. Yeah, and some Radio One sessions that came out uh, over here some some sometime last year, and and it's actually got those first demos on there. That they got signed to, to Polygram. Yeah. Anyway, I'll so, check uh, it out. I forgot. Oh yeah. So basically, bottom line is, no, I'm I'm good now. You're and good. I, yeah. uh, okay. Good. Good. I, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You no, know, I've managed to get over that, and um, yeah, I'm a lot good. better. Good. <laughs> uh, okay. So yeah. I have a I have a bunch of questions for you. The one of the main things I wanted to ask about is I want you to tell me how, because I know who you are because of some kind of wonderful. And I go crazy. All right. And I, th- and I think yeah. that's probably how most people in the States came, became yeah. familiar. You guys were such this huge buzz band at the time. I just remember you had a weird name, kind of sexy. You were British. You looked really flamboyant and, uh, you know, yeah. like, the, like the New York Dolls or whatever, but British yeah. version. Yeah. And it blew yeah. our minds. I, that's still one of my favorite songs ever from my favorite soundtrack of all time. How did this even happen? Right. Um, from from what I remember, we were managed by a guy called Peter Weber, and um, he left us. I've, I've only recently found out he was sacked. Apparently, apparently James or Kev sacked, or oh, sorry, James or Nick sacked him. I don't know. But what I do know is that he then went and worked for oh god, I can't remember his name. But he, he he worked for the Psychedelic Furs management mm. team. Okay. So he went from us to the psychedelic furs, who had that connection with uh, John Hughes. Right. And I remember James went and bought a four-track machine. I'd never seen a four-track machine, and it was like you know one of those little home studio uh-huh. things where you um, 
you know, you can, you can, you can basically like, you know, uh, record your own little song on like a little tiny little tape recorder. Right. So James got this little machine and he's, and he's going, um, they want us to, to, you know, to come up with a song for some film that, or, or, or we heard that there was some film happening. Yeah. And all I remember at that point, Flesh and Lou was a really different band to what I've been used to. Wasted Youth, we kind of all jammed around and we kind of all worked together one way or another. Flesh seemed to work in a really different way where people kind of, me and Nick would work both together, but I would never sit down with James and I'd never sit down with huh. Kev. And I think, I think that was the same for Nick. Nick wouldn't sit down with James or Kev and, and it, was, it was very insular. And I remember James came up with that, that initial idea for I Go Crazy. Uh-huh. And I, and, I, and I think because James had the machine, he kind of like, he became like the producer of it in a way, if you know what yeah. I mean? Uh-huh. And really like low budget, you know, production. And, and, I, and I just remember um, being in a rehearsal, we were trying to get, for one, try and get the machine running and working. And then there was this whole thing of like sending the tape over to the John Hughes people. There was a guy called Tarquin, Tarquin Koch. Oh, I, I've had him was... on the show. I know him, yeah. Oh, Tarquin. Yeah, yeah I love great. Tarquin. Yeah, me too. Yeah. All right. Oh, Tarquin's great. Well, I think Tarquin was really like, instrumental. I was going to ask in, you about that. A lot of the bands yeah. featured on John Hughes' soundtracks were bands that he managed or brought to the table yeah. at least. You know, those two became close and he would recommend. And I wondered if Tarquin had something to do with you getting on there. Oh, he, yeah, he did. Even though he didn't manage us, he, right. um, he, he, he was completely instrumental in, in us getting that getting that track on, you know into that yeah. film yeah and and the next thing we knew is that we ended up working with a guy called Stephen Haig he yeah. was in that he was a uh, uh he was in, in Jules and he was from Jules and the Polar Bears sure. Canadian I mean, a Canadian band weren't they yeah uh, but then, another legendary so, producer you yeah know, I know did some amazing stuff yeah, yeah. Um, so we did that that track with him and at the time we didn't know we just thought it was just going to be in the film. We just thought, oh, you know, we just got a track in the film. Yeah. It wasn't until we finished recording it and, like, you know, later, later that they went, oh, you know, we, we want to use it as, like, the main track mm. and we need you now to do a video for it. Because um, yeah. we had, Flesh Blue had actually toured the States. We, we did it with a couple of ex-army guys from London, uh -huh. right? <laughs> uh, they, they, the roadies t tend to be kind of the ex-army kind of, like, you know, the big kind of... Big, you know, it's kind of uh -huh. uh, well, psycho, psycho types, you know. Right, right. And um, so we had a guy called Frenchie and a guy called um, I can't remember what that one was now. There were two of them, and they went they went ahead in a U-Haul, and and then and then we drove ourselves. I remember in, a, in an eighties Oldsmobile. We picked it up in New York, <laughs> and we we drove it right across the state. It was probably the best tour we've ever done. Staying in the, in the, the, the worst flea pit, you know, <laughs> motels along the way. But I reckon it probably was the, the best, the best tour in a way because it was just yeah. so much fun. Yeah. And um, and, and we, we we were doing like little clubs, tiny little clubs. And then as soon as the, some kind of wonderful thing happened, then yeah. we you know we did the Jezebel's tour, which was like in theatres. Yeah. And then you know and then, you know we did the Pill tour after that again, you know the same kind of thing, you know, the big theatres and stuff. Right. And, it, we, and, it, and it went from like doing the clubs to even though not, not being necessarily being you know, at the top of the bell in those theatres, we were still. You know, playing those big venues, you yeah, know. Yeah. So, um, 
That's amazing. So, how did your, I mean, did, yeah. in your, in reality, how did this change your life? I mean, did, at the time, did it just give you access to better drugs or were you, um, yeah. you know, yeah. how did your life change? What did you celebrate well, with? What did you do? Right. Okay. Right. Well, while, while we were like, you know, relatively unknown, we, we, me and Nick lived together mm-hmm. uh, on and off. Um, we all kind of lived around Brixton yep. in South London. Now today, Brixton is like, really posh it's like really it's like one of the most expensive areas of london now oh. but when we lived there it was a kind of place that nobody would even go to right sure and um yeah i mean you know it was like it was it was pretty rough to be honest with you yeah, a lot of the houses are still like bom- bom- even bombed out you know from like you know second world war and stuff like that houses yeah. like derelict shells and <clears throat> you know it's quite it's quite a black community yeah. and um the you know a lot of white people were like oh brixton yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. 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 You know, and uh, you know, a lot of white people are scared of it for some reason. Right, right. But we lived there. We lived in a really quite a nice house. But it was a squat, which meant uh, someone owned it. But the half the time they didn't know. And, and and I think in this case, it was owned by the local authority. It was like, it was owned by the local council, and there was no record of it. So people used to live in these houses, not pay any rent. And and in those days, you could literally get like an unemployment, you know, like an unemployment benefit check yeah and that was enough for you to buy you know sort of cheap cheap liquor you know and live on beans on toast you live on beans on toast and drink <laughs> what we what we used to call like special brew right uh-huh. and it's had this really horrible horrible strong beer but it gets you drunk right so so we were, that was kind of like our existence if you know what i mean as soon as we you know we had a major record deal and stuff like that i remember cleo said to me oh why don't we move to Holland Park? Because a friend of mine's moving out, and they've got a lovely apartment. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm living in a really posh bit of London, paying uh-huh. rent, and you know, uh-huh. drinking wine and going to restaurants. You know, rather uh-huh. than, I mean, drug-wise, I luckily I, I never went back to the heroin Good. thing. Okay. Um, I never got I never got into the whole cocaine thing. I, I would do it, yeah, if it was there. And occasionally, I'd, I'd yes, I some coke and just coke. But not not like you know it never it would never get in the way of yeah my life do you know what I mean sure. I mean me me and Nick probably we did definitely we did drink more than we should but that yeah. that was kind of mine and Nick's relationship mine well, and Nick's relationship were like you know that that's kind of how we yeah how we functioned if you know what I mean we would like that's, whatever that's, was happening we'd be like oh I'll see you down the pub in like an yeah. hour I'll be all right come you know well, and that's rock and roll. At, especially back then. I know, you know? I know, it is. It's That's not, the life. Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, oh, I mean, the yeah. whole, I, I wasn't expecting, I wasn't expecting what happened to Nick. Just wasn't expecting that. Yeah, let's, you know? so let's talk about that. I mean, uh, so I got to yeah. tell you a quick story. So uh, I started this podcast in around middle of March, 2014, and, or I'm sorry, 2015. And uh, one of the, one of my goals, because the whole start of this podcast was I wanted to hear from the bands that I really love that I didn't know that I didn't hear that much about anymore, you know, and yeah. I always loved Flesh for Lulu. And I thought I got to get them on the podcast. And I I didn't send anyone an email because I thought I'm going to wait because they may not want to come talk to me until this thing is really actually up and running and and going right and i started in may may 5th of 2015 and he died a month later and i uh, have i have no idea if he was would have even been well enough to talk to me or let right. you know do an interview with me 
but it has always at that point, no. eaten, yeah it has always eaten at me that I didn't just do what I wanted to do which would have been emailing him the very first time I had the germ of the idea which would have been in Mar March of that year so I've always been right. so sad I mean I'm sad that he died anyway but the timing made yeah. me no, I know. filled yeah. with a lot of regrets you know uh, um, it's just it's, yeah I mean you know I mean, I've got, I come from quite a big family yeah. and um, you know I've seen, I've seen aunts and uncles die and <clears throat> luckily you know not many people of my generation but but Nick was so close. I mean, I spent more time with Nick Ash than anyone else. More than my parents. More than my. I've got two brothers. I spent more time with Nick than I did with anyone else on the planet. Yeah. And um, even though it's odd, even though we weren't in a band together, we weren't. You know, we weren't like physically working together anymore. We would still see each other. Yeah. We'd still meet each other, and 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 go and have a drink together. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, we we would fight like cat and dog. Uh -huh. I mean, you know, we really would. Right. Do you know what I mean? But, but ultimately, we were still best friends. You know, yeah. I'd still do anything for Nick. Do you know what I mean? He, yeah. You know, when he, you know, when he, you know, when, you know, when, he, when he, whatever, I would just always be there for him, and I'm sure he was the same with me. Yeah. You know, and um. So sad. I, uh, I know. I get, really, the, I, get, I get really upset. You know. Yeah. Was it mouth cancer or jaw yeah, something yeah. like that? It, yeah. It was. It, I, I found out a bit more after he died. I mean, the reason a day goes by, I don't think about. I, it. I mean, literally, even today, every day, I just like yeah. you know, it, I just end up there's some bit of the day where I just think about him. You know, it's, yeah. It was such a big part of it, and the, the the thing that really kind of got me in a way was. He rang me and he said, "Look, let's just do Flesh for Lulu again." Yeah. And, I, and, and normally I'd be like, "Yeah, come on then," you know. Yeah. Um, and it could, especially when, you know, I, I had to tell him that I was, you know, me and TC had started seeing each other, right? Yeah. And he'd, he'd already he'd already been with Catherine. I don't think you know he, he you know his partner Catherine. I think okay. I mean they already had a, a little girl, so you know he you know he was in his, yeah. his new relationship, you know, and you know and he'd, he'd, TC had, had split up like a good few years before uh -huh. we got together you know uh -huh. and it wasn't like she left him for me or anything like that right. but right. i met him in the pub you know and i was gonna i was gonna have to tell him that some because we'd, we'd started seeing each other it was just right. you know the last thing that i expected and the last thing that cc expected you know right, right. Uh, she's the, she's the bass she's the bass player in miranda sex garden really and um yeah and and, and nick's partner nick's partner is the singer oh, Catherine no blake it's, it's, <laughs> and, yeah and, and she was also in uh, also in the medieval babes Wow. Weirdly enough, TC has actually been doing music because she's Iggy Pop was playing some Miranda Sex Garden on his um, no. on his podcast in London. No so way. Apparently, Iggy Pop's a bit, a bit of a fan, so they've started rehearsing again, and they're going to they're going to gig. But anyway, but getting back to Nick, right? <clears throat> I thought, you know, I've got to tell him. So I thought, best thing to do is go to the pub, make sure he's had about three or four pints of Guinness, uh -huh. and then I'll tell him. Right? So yeah. we get to the pub. And I think, you know, we ordered our first drink. We sit down, and it just came out. It, I don't know why, it just came out. I just couldn't hold it in. I said, Nick, I've got something to tell you. He went, what? I said, uh, I've been going out with TC. <laughs> and he looks at me, and I went, he went, and I just thought, oh, my God, he's going to punch me. Oh, uh -huh. fuck, he's going to punch me. <laughs> right? And he looked at me, and he went, you know what? She couldn't be with a better bloke. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. that's great. Yeah, it was. I was like, I grabbed, I grabbed hold of it. I was like, oh fucking hell, Nick! Wow, <laughs> you know. 
So that was that, right? So everything right. was cool, you know? Yeah. yeah. And then um, then Nick was like, you know, well, let's do Fresh Lulu again. And I said, you know what, Nick? And I was, I was doing my, my, my glasses thing. Rob, Rob, Rob died, Rob from Primal Screen died. Yeah, yeah. Before, he, he died oh. about two years before Nick. Oh, man. I didn't know that. So, yeah, so that, yeah, so that thing with Rob wasn't going to happen, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So Rob died a few years ago. <clears throat> and, um, and basically... Um, you know, been in rehab and all that kind of stuff and nothing works. Anyway, so so I was like, Nick, you know what? I'll, I'll do it. I'll, you know, of course I'll do it. But I can't do it unless, you know, unless I can cover my, my bills. Yeah. I just right. can't. You know, it's a purely, purely financial right. decision not to do it. And in the end, I didn't do it. I said, Nick, I just can't do it. You know, I can't, I can't go and travel halfway up the motorway and come back with a hundred quid in my back pocket. I just can't do it. Right. You know? So, yeah. so those last shows that Flesh Flulu did, I didn't do them. I, you um, know, I, I did everything right up until the end. And there's quite a lot, I think from what I can gather, there's quite a bit of filming of all, of all the right. later shows they did. Right. But I'm, I'm not doing it. Which is I wonder why you know. weren't getting there. Okay. Now I know. No, nah, I, I just, it, it was purely financial. Yeah. You know, and I, and I would, I would ring the cup and go, oh, how did it go? That gig? How was it? Yeah. You know, and, and he, when we when they played London, he was like, "Oh, you know, come and see us play." And I and I said, "You know what? I'm not going to go and see my own fucking band play, am I?" <laughs> you know. Right. So I didn't go. There's right. no way I was going to go. Right. You know, I'm not going to stand in the audience and watch them play while I'm there. You know, it's impossible. Yeah. It wouldn't happen. Jeez. But you know, and yeah. I, I just wished him the best of luck. You know. Yeah. And I'm, I know Will, the guitar player, who's like, um, he, he's always loved Flesh. He's always been a bit of a fan of Flesh for Lulu. And he played. He plays without a man, you know. Crutzen. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he's a guitar. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. He's a, I, I love Will. He's a really great guy. Yeah. And he said something really funny to Nick. He said, "He said, Nick. He said what? He goes, am I just keeping Rocco's seat warm?" <laughs> 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 so basically, what he's saying is like, you know, right. Rocco's going to ring up and go, "I right. want my job back." Right. <laughs> yeah, you know? oh, and I, and he said, "No." I said, "Look," and I went on some. I said, "Look, Will, I'm not going to do it." Yeah. Not yeah. unless you can, you know, start playing big venues and I might get rid of you, but... Right, um, right. No, no. Okay. Well, you know, so, so I was walking home from work, you know, and the phone rang, and it's Nick. I'm thinking, oh, Nick's going to come and meet me. So he used to come up and see me at the pub after work sometimes. Right. And he rang me, and he goes, I've got some bad news. And I'm like, oh, what? He said, oh, I've just been told I've got, um, like, a, a cancerous cell on, on my gum. It was actually started on his gum. Huh. And he'd been to the, the dentist and the dentist hadn't picked up on it. Yeah. And it and um and it was actually on his on his gum, right? Uh-huh. And then from there I think it had spread and and you know and that and that you know that it just got worse and worse and worse, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's a guy the one bit of light that I can shed on it is is a guy that was in, in a band with him. He was in that band the Urban Voodoo Machine. Uh-huh. He was like um uh, what was it? Uh, a guy, I can't remember his name. He's a trumpet player okay. in the urban, urban voodoo machine, right? And he, he's actually a, a surgeon. He's like a real, like, oh, you know, interesting. A, a real, oh, yeah, he's like a real up there kind of like, you know, um, a surgeon. Right. And I, I met him in the street, and I, and I always have a little chat with him, whatever. And he said, yeah, I thought I should let you know what I, what I know about what happened to Nick. And I was like, well, what's that? He said, he said we were at Geneva Airport, and he said, Nick showed him this little thing mm-hmm. on his on his um, on his gum. He said it was like a little mini postage stamp. It was like perfectly square. Hmm. 
And he looked at it and he went, you know what, Nick, you need to go and get that checked out. Yeah. But apparently it, it, it didn't straight away. And I think it took like five or six months before oh, no. he had it checked out. And his words were that if he'd have gone there and then, he might still be alive. Oh, oh, that's I know. so hard. Oh, I know. And he, and he said, oh, it's not his job. He was trying to say, well, it's not my job to be on top. I mean, I'm a doctor, yeah. but I can't ring everybody up that needs to go and yeah. get things, you know, it's, I, you know, I'm busy, you know. Oh, and so tough. So, and, I, and I, I thought that was so sad when I heard yeah. that. I was thinking, fuck. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Oh, but the man. bottom line is, when that happened, yeah. I, I, I just thought, you know what, it's going it's gonna to be it. It's going to be it. But it got to the point where because I came from quite a big family and, I, and basically all of my, my dad's brothers, my dad came from a, a big family. They all died of cancer. So I'd, right. I've seen cancer a lot right. in my life, right. you know, and I, and I realized it was at one stage, I just realized that he, there wasn't much hope yeah. for him. Oh, and it, so it dawned tough. on me. And I, I felt, I felt really awful because I felt like I was the only one right. that was kind of being realistic. Yeah. I wasn't going around going, Oh, Nick's not going to make it. I, did, right. I didn't say that at all. Right. You know, I was, I was like, yeah, you know, Nick's going to make it. He's going to make it. But I knew inside, yeah. I knew. I just, oh, had, I just, because so I'd seen it. I know it's awful, yeah. fucking awful. Yeah. And it's just, I, fuck. And, um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, life is, is difficult anyway. You know what I mean? Life yeah. is difficult full stop. Yeah. And I think, you know, Nick had a young family. You know, he was keeping his career going. Yeah. And he was like trying to make money paying the bills right. I, I think he had a lot of stress I think he had a lot of stress yeah sounds like it oh it's it, so it, tough it, you know Jeez. yeah so um, uh, I, don't, hmm. I just miss him I really I bet. miss him I do too and I wasn't no. even his friend I miss his music I know, you know? I, know. Yeah. I, I think he had so much more to offer as well yeah. as he got older yeah but I did want to ask you about that last album The Plastic Fantastic because this is what you know you finally reached this new level of fame I guess in the states people are anticipating what's next yeah. in the band Paradise yeah. comes out and does it pretty yeah. well, but then Plastic Fantastic yeah. kind of right. lands with a thud. I, you know? I, I, I can tell you ex exactly what happened. Um, there was a guy called David Berman who was the head of Capitol Records, hmm. and I actually met him in the gutter at the back of a venue drinking out of a bottle of wine. Really? And I thought he was just a bum. Yeah, uh -huh. I thought he was just a bum on the street. I ended up talk, talking to him 
drinking wine with him. Next thing you know, I'm in LA. We're in this really swanky restaurant, and the same bum walks in. He's the head of Capitol Records. He didn't tell me. <laughs> he, he looked yeah. at me and started laughing. He goes, Do you remember me? I went, yeah. yeah, I met you, didn't I? He went, yeah. Anyway, David Berman loved Flesh for Lulu. He fucking loved us. And then that was, when, that was when Long Live the New Flesh came out. And then the new album, I don't know who took over. There was a new president, and he just didn't get it. We were told the new president doesn't really get your band. Uh, and they, 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 we knew everyone in the New York office. We knew everyone in the Capitol Tower. And when we went back there, we didn't know anyone. The whole yeah. fucking company had been like shuffled. Yeah. We didn't know anybody. You know, all the people that have worked on that album before were all gone. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm still in touch with Joe Myers, the old press agent from New York. Um, the best album I think we ever made, to be honest with you, was the one that came out as Gigantic. Oh, really? That's a good one, too, yeah. Uh, good record whatever way you look at it yeah. it's a really good record yeah. and also there is we were one of those bands that kind of were getting money from record labels quite big chunks of money and then nothing happening we got like half a million dollars really oh my god yeah yeah i know fucking lot of money especially <laughs> i mean that kept, that kept us alive for years yeah yeah and me and nick we were living off that for years you know and previous to that we signed another deal in the late 80s with a subsidiary of MCA, and we did another album which never came which never came out, and and there's, there's there's copies of that somewhere. And because I'm so tied up with work, at some point I'm going to track down the album <laughs> and just get some just get someone to put it out. You know, yeah, please get it out cool. online. Get it out. Get it out online. Yeah. Um. You know. Wow. Because so, there's songs on there that you know that nobody's ever heard. Yeah. Um, um, let me ask you real quick about Plastic Fantasy. Was it I? I believe it was produced by Mark Opitz, correct? Yes, yes, yeah, that's I had, right. Yeah, I had Mark yeah. on here too last year. I love him and his. Oh, name. what was it like working with Mark Opitz? Do you have a story? I I, I really love Mark. It was just a shame yeah. that Flesh Falula was falling apart. Yeah, I, I I basically walked out of that record halfway through it. Really? Yeah, it was just it was just it was just it was that's when the division between the band happened between it was like me and Nick and then James and Kev. Yeah, and it was just—I was just—I just couldn't handle it. You know, um, there's, there's, there's something. There's, there was an article online saying that Nick left the band, and, and 
and, you know, and then I did an interview where I said I left the band. Right. Right. <laughs> I know what happened. Okay. Um, but basically, we both left. You know, me. You know, yeah. I, I couldn't. I couldn't do it anymore. Um, and I, but, I was obviously Nick didn't want to do it anymore, so yeah. we, we left. You know. That's too bad. Um, but well, I'm, just, 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 so I get it in. I wasted youth. I'm going to be doing their first rehearsal in 40 years what? quite soon. No way. Yeah, TC. Yeah, TC. My wife is going to be the bass player. But <laughs> Darren, the original bass player, died. Wow. Uh, Ken the singer. Ken the singer is now a drugs counsellor. Oh my gosh. And, uh, Andy the drummer is um, not very well at the moment, but he's hoping to get better. He's the drummer. He's Ken's little younger brother. Yeah. But we did one album called Wild and Wandering, and that actually was probably more influential than anything I've ever done. Wow. I've heard snippets of it over the years. I um, I was always more. Give it a go. Give it a go. Yeah, I will. So we are going to play, and and the great thing for us is that we we were so much more popular in Britain. Yeah. Than we were anywhere else. We're not going to go on tour. Right. We'll never tour. But you know, we you know we just might do one London show every right. every now and again. Yeah. And maybe do the odd, 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 odd little festival, which means I can get my Gretsch White Falcon out again. You know. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's what we need. <laughs> Excellent. Um, well, good. Well, look, Rocco, I uh, i mean, Flesh for Lulu made a big impact on me back in 1987, and uh, I've been a fan of yours ever since, and I'm so grateful that you oh. talked to me. This What a fact. We only scratched the surface. There are so many stories I know we didn't even have a chance to get to. Oh, my God. Thank there you. are so many. <laughs> we might have to do a part Thank two you, someday. John. You bet. Thank you. I'd love to. I'd love to. There you have it. Rocco Barker. What a story, you know? I mean, he goes from this like drugged out, sex symbol, hedonistic rock star to a devoted family man, father, and eyeglass maker, like champion eyeglass maker. What a, no one has that story. Let's be honest. Anyway, I thought that was really interesting. And I love Flesh for Lulu. I want to close it out with another great song of theirs, Baby Hurricane. If you get a chance, look into more of Flesh for Lulu if you like what I hear, what you heard here. It's that Rolling Stones meets New York Dolls meets 80s glam sleaze. It is so good. Now, next week is a Paul Underwood production, and we are hearing from a member of a band that are pretty obscure. They were a sort of a one-and-done power pop band of the 70s out of L.A. Really great stuff. They've had a couple of reissues over the last few years that have sort of upped their profile. 
Come to find out, all these like power pop rock bands were heavily influenced by these guys, but they they only ever put out one album. So anyway, if you find those like under the radar power pop rock of the 70s stories interesting, come back next week. That's who we're going to be talking to. Also, as I mentioned earlier, hopefully be looking out for a deep dive later this week. And a huge thanks, as always, to my right-hand man, Jan the Man Makevich. Thanks, buddy, for everything that you do. I'm so glad we get to do this together. Uh, you know how to find us by now. You can find like our page on Facebook. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. And uh, we will be back next Tuesday, okay? Thanks, everybody. Love you.